I'd like you to open to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Now, I'm still on the same subject of God's eternal love. I don't want to go through all of that review. I like reviewing. I like to take half of my time in reviewing. I like to talk about this subject. I don't want you to forget it from one week to the next, so we try to keep it fresh and keep bringing back what you've already heard. Believing that if you hear it enough, you'll start remembering it and it'll start having its intended effect in your life. There's nothing more profound in all the Bible than the love of God. Nothing. There's nothing that penetrates deeper into changed lives than the love of God. And in most church members, there's probably nothing more lacking than to understand that. Because so many people live their daily lives in some kind of a disregard for God. He is someone in their life that they are knowledgeable of, but as far as the influence of God ruling in their life, it doesn't seem to be evident. And if you say, well, it's because you don't love the Lord, then you got all of this anger and all of that. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Now, we started out with, and I'll come back to what I just said in a moment. We started out with Jeremiah 31.3, how God, with loving kindness, draws you. Set that beside John 6.44, no man can come to the Son except the Father who sent the Son draws him. And the reason he draws you is because he loves you. That's the reason he does. He had no reason. There was nothing about us that compelled God to love us. You look around, what about any of us would cause the Almighty God to love us? We are loved because of his choice. He chose to do that. And it's interesting, and I think this is profound in 1 John chapter 4, where I want you to turn, verse 19. It says simply that we love him because... He first loved us. Now, I could spend the rest of the morning talking about that verse, but I want to go on because we got started in some things about how we manifest our love to God, and I want to keep that going. But think about this for just a moment. If we love God as the Bible determines what love does, if we are doing what he said back to him as he said we would if we love him, then we are only able to do that because first, he loves us. Now, I have to believe this, that because God loves me, the power of that, the effect of that, him singling me out for himself, chosen generation and so forth, he chose me and begins to influence me with himself. All the things he does towards me, things he does by what we call grace or mercy, they go together. All of this is directed to me because he loves me. Now, I believe that everybody who is loved by God will be affected by God to some kind of response back to God. That if he loves me in this way that is beyond knowledge. This love of God, which is 
more than I can explain. And when he begins to point that at me and begins to do to me what that does, I believe something in me responds. I think we're made like this. God created us like this to have a response back to him. I mean, we're made in his image and in his likeness. We can do nothing toward him until he first does something to us. You believe that. We did not choose him. He chose us. And how unlovely were we. And yet when he begins to love us, his love is compelling. Most of the weddings I've officiated that I can remember, I've made it a point in saying in the wedding ceremony that love is a commitment. When love is expressed, it is expressed in the form of commitment. You can see it. You can sense it. Love is not a stagnant thing that's just there but doesn't do anything. If there is love in the atmosphere, love does something. Somebody is affected by it. And in such a way that you are moved, stirred, or compelled to respond. God so loved the world. God so committed himself to the world that was lost and unable to be saved. He so committed himself to the lost people of this world that he sent his only begotten son. And you know the lengthy, wonderful story about what that did. He did that because he wanted to make it possible for lost people to be saved. And once that happened and it was possible now, the sin question had been settled. Jesus was raised from the dead. No more questions to be asked about the legitimacy of his life and death and resurrection. No more questions. It's all settled. It's done forever. Our great high priest lives today. Now, those facts, when they are pointed towards you, you didn't care a thing about all of that until one day God directed that to your heart. And this strange sense of of being lost, of your sinfulness, the criminal behavior of your life, how you have disregarded God your whole life. Maybe you were taught to, followed your parents, whatever, but you had no interest in God other than going to church was a socially proper thing that good people did. But something happened one day when he began to affect you about your sins. He didn't affect the guy beside you, the lady beside you. He affected you. You begin to be stirred. And we read in the Bible that godly sorrow, sorrow that comes from the influence of God to lost people's lives. And you begin to be aware of your lost state. You're not right with me. You're going to church doesn't make you right. The money you put in the bucket or the pan doesn't make you right. Your good intentions and nice conversations doesn't make you right. If all of that made you right, you don't need Jesus. There was no reason for him to die. But suddenly you begin to see that God sent Jesus, very compelling, to those that have been affected. Because God begins to move upon your heart and stir your heart. See, Ephesians 1, the other verse we use, from the foundation of the world, God shows you to salvation. You weren't born yet, but when you were born, he let you live a sinful life for a while. 
He lets you do your own thing, go your own way. But one day, when your time came, he did what he does. And there you are, you're bothered, tears are in your eyes, you no longer enjoy drinking, carousing, running around and talking ugly. Now you can't get it off of your mind. You can't get away from this. You feel bad about everything. You just, oh God. How many of you know that God is about to save you? Now, he commits himself. Because he made a choice a long time ago, he committed himself to the fulfilling of that choice. He stirred you up, made you aware of your sins, pointed you to the cross, knocked on your door, said, open up and you can have it all. Offered it to you. Comes in. And when he comes in, he commits himself to you, listen to me, for the rest of your life. He will never stop loving you. He can't love you more than he starts out loving you because love is love. It's just the whole package. More and more you'll be influenced by it, you'll discover more and more about him because that's the nature of love, is a revelation of who he is. He begins to show you who he is. Didn't Jesus said, if a man loves me, he will keep my words? And he said, if he will keep my words, what then will happen? Let me tell you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my words and I will reveal myself to you. The Father and I, in verse 23, the Father and I will reveal ourselves to you. We will come to you. Do you think your life is forever changed then? We're no longer just going to church. We're no longer singing a few hymns and having a good time. We are coming before the Almighty who brings us together so he can show us more about himself. Didn't he say, learn of me? Well, what's the effect of learning more of him? To bring in more out of you. We love him because what? He first loved me. I am incapable of loving God the way he wants without him first loving me. And I promise you this, when he begins to love me, I will respond. And I'll tell you something else. God has not committed himself to that kind of a life to the whole world. Because Jesus spoke many times about those that perish and hell was prepared for this and many there be that go thereat, the broad way. I mean, he speaks of the fact that multitudes of people will not make it to heaven. It's a simple question to ask. Is he not able to save them? Could God save anybody? Or is my will so strong that if he wants to save me, I can say, I don't want to be saved. Because uh -uh. if my will rules in my life, how can I know that anything he wants done will ever get done? I may not want him to do it. But you begin to realize God rules in the kingdom of man. Nebuchadnezzar crawled on his hands and knees for seven years to learn one thing, that God rules. He does as he pleases on this earth. And if he said before you were born, I'm going to save you, he will save you. Well, if that's true, why even preach the gospel? Because God has declared that by the preaching of the word, he will save the lost. 
I don't know who he wants to save. I just know that he'll do it by the preaching of the word. So you preach the word and God does the saving. We do the grieving because you don't respond. But God does the saving. But think of his commitment to you. God's committed to our well-being. He that started a good work will what? He said he will complete it or he will finish it. God commits himself to you for your security. No man, John 10, no man shall pluck you out of his hand. When he laid hold of you, you're his. So I said, you sound like a Baptist. Well, good. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that part of it. Because that's what he does. When he lays his hands on his people, they're his. He even says he will keep us from falling in the book of Jude. There is no time in our life he's not there doing all that God only can do to keep us from falling away. You know why he does it? Because he committed himself to you for that. Just think of when God drew you out of that miry clay in Psalm 40 and set your feet upon a rock, his intention was that what he started, he will finish. He's going to bring you to the very gates of glory. Everything that needs to be done in our life, he will do it. Now, how do we respond to God? Well, we started first time in John 14, 1 John 5, 3, John 15 and 10. We keep his word. It's the faith message. It's the message of faith, walking by faith. I live. I don't see him. I cannot hear his voice audibly, but I believe that he is. Because the Bible says he that comes to God must believe that he is. How do you know you believe? Because you do. You live like he's real. And he is. You live like he's there. You live like he's present. Moses, the Bible said in Hebrew, Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's the way we live. We're so affected by him that our life is governed by it. Our life has a new focus. Because God, listen, God has given the assurance to us that when he begins to love you, He's going to love you forever. And here's the deal. If you love him, there are certain ways that you will show that you love him. Anybody can go to church. Anybody can sing hymns. Anybody can give. Anybody can go on a mission trip. Anybody can do anything like that. You don't have to be saved to do that. You don't have to even be a Christian. You can just care about people and do those things. But you cannot live that life that's defined by Jesus Christ, the just. Those that are right shall live by faith. They will count on God to do what he said, even though there's no evidence that he'll ever do it or has ever done it, but you will believe he will. His word becomes a law in your heart. It becomes your life, in other words. The just shall live by faith. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the reason man, like some of us do, choose to live like that is because we love God. And we're only able to love him as more and more we're seeing what he's done for us. 
The apostle Paul came to the end of his life and said, all I want is to know more of him. Wow, wow. Everything in life pales. The pain in my body, the suffering I'm going to go through, the death that's awaiting me, the threats. Are, that doesn't mean a hill of beans. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which is me, that I've committed unto him. I don't care what comes this way. Romans 8 can death or peril or famine or sword separate me from the love of God. Lord, show me more and more who you are. That's the way we live. That's one of the great responses of a Christian. It's just to live in a faithful, trusting relationship with God. Count on God. Second thing we said last week was if we love the Lord, we will love each other. You cannot love God if you do not love people. You can go to church and hate people, but you don't love God either. Because the Bible teaches us, like in verse 12 of 1 John 4 there, he says, if we love one another, God dwells in us. Whew. How do I know that God dwells in me? If we love one another. Now, love doesn't mean I have to single you out and say, oh, sweetie pie. Yeah, that's, love sometimes can be very uh, corrective. Remember, Gus, over in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, If you see a man overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one. Remember that? Yeah. Well, then that's what you do. We are our brother's keeper. We are concerned for the well-being of each other. We must be open to somebody to speak the truth in love to us if we need to be spoken to. Unless you think you're perfect. But we have to care for each other. Whoso hath this world's good. John writes, whoso has this world's good and sees a brother have need, if he closes up his heart of compassion from that person, how does the love of God dwell in him? Love is having compassion. Love is having a concern. Love is wanting to help and, and relieve. Love is showing mercy, which is relieving. James even said, if you don't show mercy, you won't receive mercy. If God's effect in your life is not seen in the way you love other people, care for other people, concern for other people, want to help other people, that's got to be a part of your life. Remember Matthew 10, towards the end of the chapter, they asked him, what is the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. The Shema in Deuteronomy 6, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy strength, all thy might. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed all of that up in one verse of scripture in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, as we quote it, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And if we did that, there would be no more gossip, no more backbiting, no more hurt feelings, no more wars and skirmishes, no more divisions, schisms and strife. It'd be done because what we wouldn't want done to us, we wouldn't do to somebody else. 
We want people to be nice to us. We'll be nice to other people first. We want people to respect us. We will respect other people. We want people to help us when we have a need, then we'll help other people when they have a need. It's doing unto others. It's thinking beyond yourself. It's God using you to love other people, to assist, help, and aid other people. It's part of what we are as Christians. Jesus said the whole fulfillment of the law, all that he said is summed up in those two things. Love God with all your heart, first. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no two laws that are greater than that. That's the very heart of God speaking to his people through the centuries. It's still recorded in heaven because the word will never fade away. And love, love for each other. Again, one of those things that's hard to define because sometimes you see a brother that has a need, you don't think he deserves help because he's, he or she is lazy or that was a dumb decision they made. Well, I'm not going to... And yet... If you stop and think, how many dumb decisions did you make that God bailed you out of? Well, quite a few. Well, then you need to think like God would think. You should love others as I have loved you. Did God love you? Well, amen. Thirdly, today, a third thing as a way in which we show God we love him is that we never quit. We endure. Endurance. If you love the Lord, quit is not in your vocabulary. You take the T out of can't. Can't. Can't in Kentucky, can't everywhere else. You take the T out of can't, and you can. Because the Bible says, and I'm not talking about psychology, I'm talking about I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. So I'm not going to give up. But now, there are reasons. There are reasons that people give up. Even though the Bible says we have to hold fast and go on. You know, the, what he said in Hebrews 10, he said, The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, God says, My soul has no pleasure in him. And we were created for his pleasure. But if we draw back, we're not only useless, can't be used, but we've also proven that we don't have what it takes to go all the way with the Lord. We drew a line. God said, get rid of your line. We said, no, I'll go this far, but if it gets, it's cost me more, I, no, I, I can't afford that. I have to say to that person, you really don't love the Lord. You love yourself because you're drawing the line about what you'll do if he will leave you alone. It's hard to admit that you love yourself more than you love God. Peter, remember the seashore up in Galilee? Peter, do you love me more than these? Remember what he said? I like you. That's what he said. He said, I really like being around you. I like going to church and singing the hymns. I like the fellowship and the nice people. I, I really, really get pleasure from all of that. I enjoy that. That's why I go. But am I willing to lay down my life for you and go all the way no matter what, even if it costs me my life? I don't think so. I don't know that I'm willing to do that. Well, then it's a love problem. 
There's three things you have to endure as a Christian. I don't think there's any exception to them. If you're going to go all the way with the Lord and by going all the way, demonstrate your love for God by not turning back. First thing you do is you have to endure chastening. Chastening. Paul writes in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 that uh, every son that God receives, every one of these chosen vessels that God has, you didn't choose me, I chose you. All the Father gives me, Jesus said in John. Okay, these people that are brought to Christ, people like me and you, unworthy, flawed, weak creatures, full of excuses and opinions, all of that. He brings us to him. And there's so much that needs to be changed about us for us to come to the place where we are loving, yielded servants. That God begins a work. Doesn't the scripture talk about that he that started a good work in you will finish it? Well, the work he does in us involves chastening, correction. The word can mean teaching, instruction. Chastening can be discipline. That's, you know, like they would say in Germany, a schlagen or a spanking. It's a corrective. Whatever God does to turn you from what needs to be judged to what he is approving of, he does that. And in that sense, he'll never leave us alone. When does he stop telling us things we didn't know? Or when does he stop telling us things we know or better not doing and he tells us again? How long before he says, look, here's the deal. Either you line up or I'm going to line you up. If you had a lick of sense, well, if you had a little bit of sense, you would say, I would rather line myself up by obedience than I would for you to line me up through that machine you run us through. That lineup machine. You come out on the other side holy and beloved. How much does it mean for God to keep telling us things that we keep putting off? How long will he tolerate our casual indifference to it? Is he not capable and would he not at some point deal with us? Is God able to so deal with you that you change your mind about what you want to do? People don't like to be chastened. And if I said taught or go through trials where you know, most of the people I've ever known who quit, quit because of this. They turn back here. That's too much. That's too hard. That's too far, too long. I can't. I'm incapable. Nobody can live that way. That's just, a, he's too, too uh, legalistic, whatever. They say something to justify why they're not going to go that far. And the truth is, the reason you don't want to go that far is because you don't love the Lord. See how that sounds? But listen, don't believe because I said that, but if that's true, think about it. If it's true, the reason I don't want to go all the way with God, even to the cross myself, carry my own cross, the reason I don't want to die daily and 
submit all my ambitions to God and, and let him do with me whatever he The reason I don't want to do that is because I love me and where I want to go more than I love him and where he wants me to go. But see, that's reality. That's the truth. You've got to come to that kind of truth before you can ever be what he wants you to be. But when God brings us in here, he didn't bring us in here to entertain us. I've already gone past my 20 minutes. <laughs> he didn't bring us in here for that. He brought us in here because he loves us. You've had a busy morning. You haven't even prayed yet. Didn't pray before you got here. You didn't ask for any kind of influence of God in your life. You just kind of got up and went to church and the Sunday routine and here you sit. Not really expecting much, not really looking for much. Wasn't even on my mind to pray for more than what I got. I just came because I just go to church. Here I sit in Shelbyville Christian Assembly, listening again to him. And it's another time, though, that God can give you some instruction or refine the instruction you've already had. It can come like a threat. It can come as a threat. Would a parent ever say to their kids, would y'all's parents ever say, I'm not going to tell you anymore? Houston, they wouldn't do that. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to your daddy later. But uh, how about you big boys? Is, did you ever hear your parents ever say, I'm not going to tell you again? Okay. James, you need to talk to Caleb too, all right? <laughs> my wife used to say that all the time. My mother, I've heard it all my life. That's the last time I'm telling you. The next time I'm going to wear you out. Now, if she did wear me out, I'm talking about that limb on the tree. They, you lose your contract today if you use one. <laughs> My mother used a switch on me. They had locked her up today. They had put her away for a long time, but she used a switch. You know why she used a switch? Because she didn't love me. See, you know better than that. Then if she loved me, why would she do that? I come in here to be loved on, not to be switched. I didn't come in here to be told I need to line up. I come in here for the warmth of the moment. And God got a switch out and started wearing me out. What are you laughing at? Why would he do that? Does he want you to change? Does he love you when he chastens you and corrects you? Does he love you? That's the only reason he does it. My mother didn't want me to grow up and be a social misfit. She didn't want me to be nature's waste going out through the public and being ignorant. So to correct me and at least get some manners in me, she told me, you know, you always say this, you always do that. You never do this. You never do that. All right. Yeah. What'd you say? I said, yeah. She said, it's yes, ma'am. Come over here. Pow! What's the purpose of that? To keep me in remembrance. That there is a way that is right. I have no other choices. You can make choices, but there are no other choices. And God reminds me that I will do to you what happened to Job. But it didn't say Job sinned. 
That's another story. But God is able to bring you to the place where in chapter 40, Job said, I've heard of you. But boy, I know who you are now. I bow my head and my heart. I put my hand over my mouth. I would add, I have nothing more to say because you are more than I ever thought you were. You suppose Job was a better man later? Do you suppose God's chasing for us makes us better later? Oh, it does. He really, really does. I mean, that's what he wants. Well, what about those people then now, Brother Hamilton? You talk about God loving people and drawing them out and doesn't stop loving them. How about all the ones, let's call it backsliding. What about the ones who just sort of go away and they just don't seem to have any interest? Did he draw them out? Yeah. Did he let them go? I don't know. Let's go to Psalm 89. Let's see if he let them go. Lord, did you let them go? He said, well, go to Psalm 89 and ask, and, and let's find out. Boy, I love this, and you're going to like this. If you don't like this, you're free to go home, all right, after I'm done. Psalm 89, verse 30. I could use 29. Well, let me make verse 29. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. Now, is God able to make us endure? Then if we are not enduring, what's the problem? Don't answer it. But he's able. From his divine side, he is able. Now go on, verse 30. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments. Get a hold of this, parents. If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments. Verse 32. Then will I cast them out forever. He didn't say that, did he? He said, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. If God has said it, God will do it. There are folks in here this morning that tried to quit. Walked away for a while, too long. Went back and couldn't stay back. I will visit their iniquity with stripes. And he began to do all those tormenting things. God can allow the tormentor to torment you. And get your eyes fully open to see how much of a fool you're being and how loving God is towards you and how much he cares about you and drags you back. You say, well, I can only sit on the back row. At least you're in the building. I love that he said, nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. Isn't that good? And if that was not good enough, go back to the left to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14. Listen to this. And I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him. You like that? You should. 
this is how God is with his chosen ones. They're not perfect. They fall, they fail, they mess up. They say some dumb things and do goofy things. We're all learning. God didn't bring us in here to tell us how perfect and good we all are. He tells us he loves us, but he says, I'm going to change you because if you stay like you are and you're much like the world, I will have to judge you. I can't let you do the same thing the world's doing and judge them and not judge you. You're going to be different. Chastening. Said with the stripes of men. What about flat of your back chastening? What about that? Like what he's saying in Psalm 119, verse 71, it was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. I didn't realize who you were until the only way I could look is up flat on my back and I realized how much of the fool I was being. I was deceiving myself. I was misleading myself. I kept telling myself, I'm all right. I go to church. I've been baptized. I, I this and I that. Yeah, I'm all right. And I was living like a dog. And you're not going to let me continue to live like a dog and think I'm all right. So God lets things happen. Amen. He does. Many a person has felt real bad and a lot of pain laying on a bed and repented. And got things right with God. That's not a subject that's pleasant to talk about, but you can't deny it in the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 71, and again in verse 75. Again, this is why people quit. They say, well, if that's the way it's going to be, and you know, I pray and nothing's going on, and he's not going to. You spoiled child. If God doesn't do it right now, then you don't think, well, I ain't going to do it. And you quit. You know what's your problem? You don't love the Lord. You love yourself. You don't love the Lord. You gave up. You quit. Chastening. Well, that's not the only thing that has to do with endurance. Another thing that has to do with endurance is suffering. We endure sufferings. But there is no way to escape that if you're a Christian, the things that God's going to point you to do, a way he's going to require you to live, it's going to cost you something. You're going to suffer. You may suffer at home, with your children, with your boss, the people at work, your schoolmates. Every time there's a change takes place in your life and a new set of convictions guides your behavior and it's not like it used to be, people notice it, they begin talking about you. Most people can't handle persecution. They can't handle that kind of suffering. But all that live godly, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Was it not Jesus who said in Matthew 10, Behold, I send you forth as sheep amongst wolves? Do you think everything out there, when you walk out this door into this world, do you think everybody favors what you believe? Do you think everybody is glad that your hand is on the plow? Do you think everybody is looking forward to hanging around you to hear you talk about God? No, they don't want anything to do with you. John wrote, he said, marvel not, brethren, if the world hates you, in 1 John. 
The reason they're going to hate you, he said in John 15, he said, the world can't hate you because you were one of them. But it's me they hate. And the more you subscribe to my way and commit yourself because you love me, the more you commit yourself to doing things my way, the more you get persecuted. But it's not you they're persecuting. It's the influence that I'm having in your life. You're letting me live. You must decrease. He must increase. And as he increases, the persecution you're feeling is him. They're still persecuting him through you as you live his life. As you die to self and you let Christ live in you, they see it. They know it. And they hate it. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 3, and 4. All the way back in the back. 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. 1 Peter 2 and verse 18. He said, Servants be subject to your masters with all fear or respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, the mean. For this is thankworthy if man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Well, we're going to march on that and protest today. But not a Christian. Not a Christian. You will suffer wrongfully. You will. It'll be a test. For what glory, verse 20, is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. God wants you to remain on an even keel all the time, knowing that these things are going to happen. And if they happen, well, chapter 3 and verse 14, we quoted it a while ago. But if you suffer for righteousness' sake... Happy are you. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't worry about that. Take no thought. This is going to happen. We're promised it's going to happen. Chapter 4, verse 14. He said, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a gossip, uh, busybody in other men's affairs. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. How many times the word suffer take place? Verse 13, repose, verse 14, suffer, verse 15, suffer, verse 16. How many people quit because of that? I can't handle the social rejection. I can't handle the change that's causing people to turn away from me. I can't handle losing friends and influence. They turn away from God. You know why they turn away? Because they don't love the Lord. They love themselves. That's what I believe. A third thing you have to endure. The Bible says you have to endure to the end. If you love the Lord, you never back off. You never quit. You have weak days. You have bad moments and all of that. Yes, yes, yes. But Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now what will the church in America, this modern age of new thing, 
the social church of this hour, what will they do with that? What will they do with that? You shall be hated of all men for my namesake. The church is trying its level best to appeal to the world. Look, we're not harsh. We're not ugly. We're not going to tell you how bad you are. We just want you to come in so we can love on you. No, we want you to come in so we can get your money. That's what they want. But he said, he that endures to the, endures what? All the stuff that the devil's going to throw at you to make you feel like quitting. And yet, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You turn back, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Because when you turn back, he said you turn back to destruction. You need to know that so that's on your mind. As a Christian, God's going to keep you. But you need to know that you can't turn back. You have no choice. Matthew 24, would you look over there for just a moment? Verse 8 through 14 in this end time chapter. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. I think we're there. I'm not so big on the eschatological understanding of the Bible or eschatology. I don't know that I understand all the details. But there's enough that I do understand. Enough of the general things, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. There's enough of that going on, plagues, like in Sierra Leone, that I know that this time that we're in is different than any other time in all of history. There's never been a time in history when it is like it is now everywhere. Maybe it's because of the electronic age and information travels so fast. But listen at this. Verse 8, he said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. You read the verse before that. Then, at this time, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended. I just said that. And shall betray one another and shall hate one another and Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, that's self-love, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But after all those ends, now you come to a but. But he that endures to the end and overcomes all that, he shall be saved. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted. You'll be hated of all nations, offended. You'll betray one another. You're going to hate one another. False prophets shall arise. going to deceive many. Iniquity will abound, and the love of many will wax cold. They weren't really loving people after all, were they? Did you hear what I said? Oh, they're just such a loving people. What about when things get all sideways and out of whack, and those people that were so loving turn out to be those who betray you and gnash their teeth at you. They weren't so loving after all, were they? But he that endures and stays put steadfast to the very end shall be saved. Do you suppose Jesus knew what he meant when he says, few there be that will find that gate? 
Look how easy it is if you follow the trends of the world and the ideas of the modern church. Look how easy it is to draw back. I'm sure there are people in higher places that tell you that you know, maybe a hermeneutics something or another. They tell you that it doesn't really. Well, this is what that means. They begin to change the definitions or define. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that in the last days, dedicated and committed people will not be a majority. We like to think that there are billions of people that are going to just, they're all Christians, they love the Lord. I would to God that was true. The world would truly be a better place, but it's never going to be a better place until Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. Then it'll be a better place. In the meantime, the world lies in wickedness. And darkness and men's hearts are getting grosser and grosser. Lovers of self, haters of God, lovers of pleasure. It's everywhere. It's flashed on the screens of entertainment. It's in all the latest magazines and the talk everywhere you go. It's have and do and be and go. Woo! And people that do that all the time are not the happiest people you'll ever meet. And yet I can come into a place like this and see people that have enough. And you can't wipe the smile and the joy off their face. Because life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that a man has. But life is all about you knowing, loving, and being secured by Jesus Christ. That's what life is about. Who shall separate you from that? Shall some terrorist, shall a gun to your head, a knife to your neck? They can't cut love out of you. They can't cut your salvation out. Well, I would like to think if somebody's going to cut my head off, he'd have to cut my knees off first because I'd be doing all I could to kick and do something. I don't think I could just stand there like this here and get it right. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. I just know that God said he'll take care of our tomorrows. God will protect us and keep us in all of our ways. So those are three things you have to endure. You have to endure those things. We can't quit. If you love God, you can't quit. Didn't it say in Hebrews 12, consider Jesus? We're talking about love and stand put. Consider Jesus, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was whatever they did to him, he did not do it back. Lest you be worried and faint in your minds. Listen to this, if I can find it. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be worried and faint in your mind. Endure. Don't quit. He didn't quit. That's who we're imitating. Another thing, if you love the Lord, if God has loved you and you love the Lord, another way you define it is by separation. God spoke to Moses in Exodus 33, telling him who he was. He said, my presence, God said, my presence shall go with you. You can't see me, but I'll always be there. 
And he said, how shall we know? He said, you shall be, and I'm brief in this, you shall be separate from all the people in the world. And in this way, you will know that you're my people. There is nothing the world has to offer you spiritually. Nothing. The world cannot benefit your spiritual life or your growth in any degree, not even a little bit. There is no influence of the world that can make you a better Christian. None. It goes so far to say, if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. Now, I don't know how you take all this, but to me, that's a challenge. I think, do I love the world? You know, there's things in the world I enjoy doing. I can't imagine putting that before the Lord. But if I would, then I need to get rid of it. I don't care if it's my man room or my trophy room where all my trophies are. Oh, I've already thrown them away. I forgot. All of that. Separation. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. You remember these words, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And he goes on to say, and I will be a father unto you. What does and mean? All you literature geniuses, what is the word and? It's a conjunction, isn't it? It adds to. If that's not right, let me have that. Just give me that. He said, if you will loose yourself from the world and everything that hinders your walk with God, turn your back on if you have to. Come out from among them and be what? Separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. He goes on to say, and I will be a father unto you. I will be a father unto you. He said that. But he also, before he said, I'll be a father unto you, he said, if you come out from among them, saith the Lord, he said, I will receive you. Huh. I wonder how many fatherless people are running around in the world confessing to be saved by a stranger. They've never met him. Never known him. Their name's on a roll somewhere, but they've never met him. I shall be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters. Now, my last point I want to make to finish this series would take far too long for me to hurry through it. So I'm going to save it for next week. And I know you're glad about that. <laughs> because, you see, here's what I want you to go home with. Not only the fact that I've got to evaluate myself and examine myself, as Paul said, Am I really in the faith? Do I really love the Lord? Does my life indicate I love the Lord? And if it doesn't, okay, you've heard enough. Deal with it. Because next week, when God loves you, and there's way too much of this to talk about, but I've picked out two or three things. When God loves you, how does he manifest it? And I'll give you a clue to start with. Psalms 23. You got to like that. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, 
Bless this word to the hearts of your people. Father, lean on us. Leave us not alone. Let us not get away from your influence ever. Open our eyes and our hearts. Make us to be aware of what you've been teaching us and what you're saying to us. I ask you to keep on loving us, Lord, the way only you can. And God, give us a heart to love you back with all we got. We can just enjoy that kind of life in this world. And I ask in that way, Lord, that you bless all these that are here, all those who listen, that we would benefit the rest of our lives from being loved by you. I ask you to do that because only you can. And I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.